Welcome to Cocktails Over Coffee, a podcast that spotlights truly inspiring individuals that have taken a leap of faith by leaving their corporate careers, otherwise known as their coffee, to pursue their passion, otherwise known as their cocktail. I'm Janae Green, and I'm so excited to be here today with founder, serial entrepreneur, all the things, Keenan Williams. Thank you so much for being here today, Keenan. <laughs> No problem. Thank you for having me, Jenna. Even though you're in transit, you're traveling, you're you're all over the place, but as a typical entrepreneur would be, can't sit still. Indeed. At all. At all. So uh, tell me, let's let's start from the beginning. Where did you start out? What were you doing in corporate? Okay. So I graduated from FAMU, Florida AM University, back in 2009. Okay. Uh, when I came out, I went immediately to Wall Street. My first job was on a bond trading desk. Um, at a small firm that technically I should never been at in the first place. So graduating what, in why 09, do you say that? because they only, they only hired experienced people. Okay. So there was no such thing as interns or juniors or analysts. It was like all 40 plus year old men who've been it. trading for 20 plus years. Okay. So the only reason why I got the job is because graduating with a finance degree in 09 was like worthless because uh, yeah. the crash in 08 right. or the crash and fall away. Right. So graduating six months after a market crash mm. with a finance degree had me stuck. Yeah. Um, an alumni got me interview. He kind of vouched for me. And so the CEO of the small fund was like, fuck it. I'll let Keenan like be a glorified analyst, even though that doesn't exist. Yeah. So my first job out of school was on, on wall street was making it out of nothing. Wow. Um, because every internship, those opportunities didn't work. Like yeah. the desk, the desks I was on at JP Morgan and Barclays were like the credit desks and credit was what caused the market crash. Right. So graduating with no prospects, um, I hustled my way through an alumni connection to get anything possible for a gig. The gig mm -hmm. worked, but eventually they needed me to accelerate to the same level as all the other dudes on the desk. Yeah. And at 22, I was no way, no way, shape or form prepared for that. Right. So I pretty much got like a glorified 10 month gig um, <laughs> coming out of school in the worst market ever as a favor. Which um, is, a, was, that's, that's a great, that's a great setup though. Oh, no, it was a phenomenal setup. I mean, to, to this day, I give that uh, that alumni from my school so much credit yeah. um, and gratefulness. Um, you know, but I think also, too, by the time it was 2010 and that opportunity had ended, right, there was no ability to get a full-time offer. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like back to square one. So the entire time I had been sleeping on couches, mm -hmm. um, I was like crashing with girls that I was, you know, dating or hanging out with, quote, unquote. <laughs> Resource. Um, <laughs> I was being super resourceful. It's a really good way of saying it. Um, and, then, and then one of their friends was like, hey, you should talk to so-and-so. She's in commercial real estate. Okay. So I talked to her friend, and that was when, like, the inflection point 2010 happened where, you know, eating shit for a year after graduation with no opportunity mm -hmm. turned into the biggest one of my life um, by getting accelerated into this interview process to be an analyst, an official analyst yeah. at a real estate firm. Um, and I think the biggest reason why the opportunity came to fruition um, was because once that young lady introduced me to her friend and her friend was like, hey, I could put you on. Yeah. You know, I told my dad, like, hey, dad, I got this opportunity. I know nothing about real estate. Right? I didn't go to college real estate. I didn't have any background, never interned. I, I never even underwrote a building. Yeah. But was about to get interviewed final rounds for this role. So the day comes, it's final rounds. I'm in the elevator bay and I see the CEO of brokerage walk off the other elevator. Okay. So I had like a split second decision. You can chase yeah. him down and pitch him or no. <laughs> so and? I jump off the elevator. I jump off the elevator. I like 
canoodle my way. So this, this, this is even more of a hustle because I was on my way out. So I had the final rounds. Okay. Didn't feel confident. Was leaving. The uh -huh. one late, you know, the lady that interviewed me, like walking to the elevator bay where the glass doors are yeah. that you need to buzz into. She walks away quickly. He comes <laughs> off the elevator. When he walks through the doors, the doors are like closing slowly. And I got like yes. a split second, like, put your hand in that door, grab it. So I grabbed it. <laughs> okay. And I walked back onto the floor that I was just excused from. Yeah. Figure out his office, lie to his Are you serious? And she's like, you know what? I see what you're trying to do. I get real nervous. I think she's about to call security on me. Yeah. She was like, go ahead. If you did all this, I'll give you wow. five minutes with him. So I knock on this door. Yeah. His name's Steve Siegel, still a mentor of mine, of mine today. He's in the 70s now. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, Mr. Siegel, I'm Keenan Williams. Let me tell you why, you know, I think I want to, you know, why I want to be here. So he gives me 45 minutes. Um, I get the job. And that was the official start. So 2009 was like a prelim 2010 yeah, like, a, like a test run a strong run yeah two thousand ten was a strong run um and I, yeah built my career in commercial real estate for five years after that five years okay so uh were you in the same position same company for five years or did you kind of move around no no i had three different gigs in five years all in real estate so i started off at that company cbre in the analyst okay. program which was 18 months um then stayed for a year after placement um jumped to a hedge fund called torchlight investors was there for a year um, learned a ton, hated the job, loved mm -hmm. the people that had some of the best managers I've ever had Yeah. Um, at both CBRE and Torchlight Investors. Um, and then late 2013, early 14, I got an opportunity to work in tech. Um, and I got an offer at uh, auction.com, which doesn't okay. exist. It was bought out, but it, it's, it's called 10X now. Okay. Um, but everything changed. I went to auction.com. That's when I saw like you know, a startup company at scale. That's when I saw what happens after $50 million of Series B or Series C funding gets invested by Google Capital. Yeah. Um, and that's when I also saw like how much shit was falsetto mm -hmm. and how much was cap because we were telling the market one thing, but internal operations were internal, entirely another. Right. Um, and that's when I got the inspiration to start my first company when I worked at the auction.com. So did you have, were, were you miserable in this gig where you were like, I want to leave? Or were you just really inspired and you decided to go and, and try to do something on your own? Uh, I would say, I would say neither. I think, I think the impediment for me was being at a company, seeing the gaps and the breaks, trying to fix them yeah. and having to negotiate against myself internally with decision makers. Mm -hmm. So it was less frustration. It was more like an aha moment, like, oh shit. The problem's obvious. Everyone knows it. Yeah. The solutions are too, but no one wants to do them. Right. And if I'm ballsy enough to speak up to try to do them, yeah. I'm being told by, you know, the number two, number three, number four guy, well, this is your one shot. And it's like, they're not, this isn't going to work. Right. Like this isn't going to, this isn't going to be a multi-billion dollar business. Yeah. Um, and I just knew I could solve the problem better, different. So I, I left, started my first company. It failed inside of eight months. And yeah. I started my second company. Resi. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so how did you prepare to leave? What's, what was that like? I was, it was incorrect. I would never tell somebody to do. Or did you prepare? <laughs> no, nah, I mean, I think, I think what I prepared for was what I wanted to do next, not the best way to leave, right? Okay. The best way to leave is what I tell people now, which is work till you get fired. Right? It's don't leave. It's like, stay, mm. collect that good check. Right. Do a really shitty job. They're going to eventually fire you. Um, because you're <laughs> is giving that your all advice? your, 100%. Absolutely. If you know you want to leave, don't just yeah. leave. Let, let them cut you. Yeah. If they cut you, you get to collect unemployment. Okay. Um, and unless you're super well capitalized at the start of any venture, they'll, that income 
early days is all you're living yeah. off of, right? right? And so the structure that it takes to even get some support to find co-founders and find early engineers to help build your MVP or your first product, yeah. it's, that's either two ways. If you have enough money to survive and you give those early people equity, mm-hmm. or you have enough money to survive plus pay them something and give them a little equity. Yeah. Either way, you're going to have to either have time or capital or both. And right. so when I left, I jumped on my own. Like I gave two weeks notice and I left. I had no severance. I had no, mm-hmm. no payout. You know, there was no bonus to collect and there was no unemployment. Right. Yeah. It was just like me and my 401k and just being really super. Just Did you gutsy. save? No, please. I ran out of cash in like less than six months. But what I did have was the mentality of how I was going to survive. Right. So I think, okay. I think the good thing about what I did was like, um, and there was, and funny enough, some buddy of mine, when I was at my first co-working space, asked me to tell this story yeah. to Entrepreneurship Magazine for Father's Day. Mm-hmm. When it was like, yo, what was that moment when you had to get your, your dad to like accept what this was? And, it, and yeah. I told him it wasn't ideation. You know, I, I had been courting my co-founder for six months. Um, before we actually like became official co-founders yeah. in terms of being documented with equity, taking them to dinner once a month, pitching them the idea, working on nights and weekends with them. Um, so my parents were well aware of what I was trying to do. Yeah. And I think, um, I think the moment didn't really hit them until I was like, hey, can you come up this Friday or Saturday, bring the truck. I bagged up all my stuff. My landlord let me out my lease. Mm. I need you to bring my stuff home. I'm going to live out of the suitcase for uh, six months. I got friends that let me live with them free. Um, two weeks oh like every other two weeks i have a, right. I have a new friend who let me stay for free um i got a plan say? that sounds like a parent's worst nightmare <laughs> they started to cry they yeah. started to cry <laughs> um they 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 didn't they believed it but they really weren't uh they weren't they weren't aware of what it would take right so it was yeah. it was a big unknown to them it was a definitely a big unknown to me the only only answers i could, i had for them were where i was going to sleep Right, mm-hmm. because that's to me. I thought to myself, like, as long as I can live in New York for free for an extended period of time, I can figure the fuck out. I can make it. Um, okay, do, so like, how did you actually jobs. do that? Two weeks at different people's places. You were couch hopping yeah. How often? Yeah, yeah. I think there's at least ten people who wow. became better friends because they let me stay with them than they were before. They let me stay with them. Wow. Right. Okay. So this is this is 2015. Uh, this is you know your days. YDC. Mm-hmm. Um, and your deal clothes.com. I just, I mean, it was the definition of your baby, right? Anytime you have a multi, a multi, multi hyphenate creative yeah. or a multi startup founder, we all can talk to about that first major project. The one that was the leap of faith, the one that yeah. like, you know, took everything you had because yeah. all you had was leap of faith. Yeah. Like, yeah, like that, that was my first one. So yeah, I should have planned. I could have planned way better. And I tell founders all the time mm-hmm. the right way to exit their careers. Um, I yeah. don't believe in working working until your side hustle makes it the same as your current income. Yeah, right. That's I, tough. I, I have a huge disbelief in that um, yeah. because your first one won't work until it gets hundred percent of you. Right. 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 So there's always this balance of when you have to make the commitment to go all in. Yeah. Um, and I just you know, I've seen founders not agree with me and do it successfully the other way, mm-hmm. but I just I firmly believe the uh, jumping all in is the way to go. So long story short, um, how I did it was I had a spreadsheet. Um, I actually, I, I think, I don't know if I showed it to Michael. I think Michael was one of the few people mm-hmm. that saw it um, where literally I just had friends' names, address, phone number, and the wow. date. And it was like, yo, this is when they told me I can crash. And yes, yeah, so for every two weeks, for at least a good five to six months, that's how and, I lived in New York City. And you had a suitcase, one suitcase? Or what were you? It was, it was, it was a big-ass book bag um and not even a super big ass suitcase i gave i gave my parents everything i probably wore the same like 
six outfits in rotation for six months. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I did, I did, like at that point, it was just all about getting yourdoclothes.com yeah. to be a reality, right? So I cared about nothing. Um, and most importantly, like this is post, this is like 2015, right? So this is when startup culture is the shit, yep. but I'm in a business model of like trying to launch a commercial real estate startup. So mm-hmm. all my clients still wear suits. So the right. easy thing for me was like, I didn't have to keep a lot of stuff because I just kept rotating my suits. So I was like the weird dude who would show up to the co-working space and be there for 14 hours in a shirt and tie. (laughs) And everyone else is like, what the fuck are you doing? And then I also some nights sleep there. And so they're looking at me like, you wore those clothes yesterday. Um, Are you allowed to sleep at co-working spaces? Absolutely not. But one of the founders was a good friend of mine. He let me crash for a little while. I can't give you the name of that co-working space. I wasn't going to ask. Discriminate him. (laughs) But he had, there, there was a conference room in the co-working space that was windowless. And oh so he God. was like, at one point in time, yeah, one point in time, I stayed there for like a solid 12 days. And like what? other people saw in the locker room area, they're like, yo, whose bags are these on the top of the lockers? Why didn't this person have a locker? And I was like, because I can't afford one. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I just, I was just crappy. I made it work. I mean, and yeah. I made sure I was sensitive to never overspend my welcome. Yeah. So even though I was staying with people for two weeks, like my trade off was like, look, I, can't, I don't have any money, but I can like keep your house super fucking clean. Right. Um, and everyone was like, sure. Um, of course. Yeah. So like, like a built-in house like, cleaner for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Who I mean, but also it, there were trials and tribulations, right? There were some young ladies that let me stay with them, and I like did shit like, oh, I lost your house keys, and you don't have another set, and we okay. gotta wait till the super comes home, mm. or like, you know. So you did kind know, of like, overstay some of your welcomes. <laughs> for sure, I, there, that was not a perfect process. <laughs> yeah. I still would have done it again. I wouldn't have changed anything um, okay. in terms of like making that level of commitment, but yeah. the sensitivity. I didn't, I didn't have it, right? To me, yeah. it was all energy. So it was just like, yo, just do or die, build your clothes.com, whatever yeah. it takes. Um, and all these connections, so, yeah. were these, these just people that you met through? How did you, how did you meet all these people? That's a lot of people to be staying with. They were not all, they were not all established connections. Some yeah, of those okay. were fresh newbies. Wow. Um, you are bold. Yeah. Shout out to, <laughs> listen, bold, my friend. <laughs> super bold, right? If you can't ask them to live with them, you can't close a client from scratch. I that firmly believe factual. it. factual. Um, but yeah, no, I got stories like, you know, I went on a date and was like a first date. I was like, Hey, so, um, can I go back to your place? No, no, it's not for sex. For two weeks. Well, just like I played up, like I crashed for three days. Um, and one one lady, no, it's where the guy, one young lady was actually hella cool. She's still a good friend of me of mine today. Um, like her name is Ashley and I won't say the last name again. Okay. Fair. No incrimination. But I remember... (laughs) I remember it was like a date and it was like a real good vibe. And it was like, yo, you're actually hella cool. And I was like, yeah, you're hella cool too. By the way, totally not here for sex. Would love to actually know if I could crash with you. She had just moved to the city, right? She had no furniture. It was like a mattress on the floor. Oh my God. So I'm staying with her and I'll never forget her mom called her and was like, who is this boy that keeps being over there? And she was like, yeah, he's not just constantly coming over. I actually let him stay here for a while. Yeah, Um, he's crashing. Yeah, he's crashing. And so, like, I remember, like, the mom flipped out. I was like, I can't believe this. And I was like, ugh, I think my welcome's over. Can I get three more days? (laughs) She was like, yeah, sure. Um, And then we ended up, like, volunteering together for for organizations. So, yeah, no, I think that that first year, like, all 2015 was just – you know, it was just real. It was like, look, right. like, are you just want to do whatever it takes. Yeah, um, that's you know, what friends you got to do. Yeah. And, but we also financed the business on pitch competitions, right? So, like, yeah. the early days, I would have friends, like, book me tickets off their credit card points. So, mm-hmm. so I go to San Francisco and pitch. Um, you know, I have homies, like, buy me a bus ticket. So I go to D.C. and pitch. So, like, 
yeah. the community support, the homies, the friends, the 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 circle. That was essential. Um, definitely broadened. But yeah, yeah, it was everything. I, I wouldn't have, I guess, long-winded way of saying an answer to your question, I wouldn't have made it without them. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about your first business. What exactly was it? Yeah, it was super simple, right? I think it just, it was like, hey, if I want to buy a $2 million building in Brooklyn, yeah. right, a townhouse with six units, yeah, the bank takes the same amount of time to give me a mortgage or a loan on that as if the building was $20 million and 100 units, mm-hmm. right? Why is that? Because banks had no process that was differentiated for loan size. It was just the same template process across the board. So yeah. small owners are getting, you know, sorry, can I curse in this show? Yes, know. yes. This, oh, you, you've so already small. dropped a couple. I was like, let, let yeah. me keep going. <laughs> <laughs> My bad, But it's small okay. owners were constantly getting fucked, like, you know, yeah. because to wait as long as it took for banks to do loans and as everyone knows in real estate, time kills deals, yeah. small owners were getting squeezed. Right. They couldn't close fast enough because they didn't have enough cash. Mm-hmm. And then they couldn't have uh, incre- enough cash to increase the down payment to speed up the process. Right. There was no way to make the bank go faster. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how good your credit was, no matter if you could put down 10, 15 or 20 percent, like the bank's process was the bank's process. Right. And so the first company, Eurodoclose.com, was supposed to bring small balance, mm-hmm. sub sub $10 million loan um, issuances to do it in the cloud. Yeah. And, you know, in 2014, late 2014, early 2015, phenomenal business idea, super disjointed model because no one was doing it at that time. And I think, you know, I love the fact that in 2020, there's like six businesses worth over a hundred million dollars that purely do that, right? They just, they just, they they hit product market fit, right? We couldn't find product market fit. We were just too early, right? We were pitching, you know, all the big banks in the world and we kept getting the same feedback from all of them, which is like, yeah, you're right. The process is disjointed. Yes, you're right. The problem is real and we know it, but hey, your solution, unfortunately requires too much change for us. So thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. Okay. And we heard, we heard that from every institutional player. Um, So the first company just, we had to wrap it up inside eight months. We we couldn't get our first customer. Um, Okay. So eight months is how long, how long it took you to start and end. And and die. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You can say it. It's okay. No, I mean, a a soft ending. Um, So it was you and a co-founder. Yeah. It was just us. It was just us. He was, he still had a full-time job. He was like floating the business. He was paying the rent on the co-working space. And I was like every single day pitching VCs yeah. and trying to build relationships with people in the, in the city. Um, I could, I had the client side, right? I had the demand side of the marketplace, yeah. which is usually the easiest place to start, which is the people who have the need. Yeah. Um, but the supply side was where the hangup was. Um, and I knew we needed capital to even execute the idea a little bit. Yeah. Um, but a lot of VCs were like, hey, you're a first-time founder. Mm-hmm. trying to bust into a crazy capital intensive business you've right. never even tried this before and even though you're coming from a company that failed at it at least they scaled it um manually you're mm-hmm. telling me you don't even want to do it manually there's another way to do it digitally we, what are we buying into um and i just i was still fearless i didn't care um i snuck into the first forbes 30 to 30 summit um in 2015 you it was snuck, in. snuck in it was, okay. It takes like three grand. I was like, I don't have $3,000. Yeah, <laughs> but my, I will be there. <laughs> Janae, I maxed out my credit card taking the bus ride down from New York Stop. to Philly. And I'm from Philly. I didn't even tell my parents. Um, wow. Yeah. So snuck into there. Yeah. Built some great, two two phenomenal early stage VC relationships um, that I carried with me. That started me going to DC to pitch. Yeah. Um, we never got checks from those guys. We never got checks from anybody for the first company. But that cutting my teeth in the way I did for the, my first startup set me for up for success 
uh, for my co-founder now to do the next one, which was Resi, which at this point, you know, has raised a Series A, we closed a ton of capital. Um, you know, it took us to Silicon Valley. We got to be part of Y Combinator. Yeah. Um, we've seen a lot of success. So what did you do once the first business died? What was, what was your next step? I created the name for the next one. And then we created LLC. Same team? Same team. Same team. Same team. Okay, so this is Resi. So what, so what was Resi? What is Resi? Uh, Resi is still. Yeah, I mean, what, what it was was so many different things. You went okay. through like seven business models. What okay. it is, is a fully automated leasing platform. Mm -hmm. So for Resi, you can walk into any vacant apartment we have listed and yeah. just from your phone in 10 minutes or less, close on that apartment. Not just apply, not just apply and get a decision, but mm. literally apply, get a decision. If it's yes, you then close. Sign a lease with your finger, pay the deposit with your online banking, and set your key pickup date and moving date, and you walk wow. out with a lease. All right, within the minutes, same day. All within, all, all within the same 10 minute period from your phone minutes. without having to talk to any human. No more supplying random property managers with your W-2s and bank yeah. statements and giving, giving random people that don't even speak English or SSN right. trying to apply <laughs> for 15 apartments, right? <laughs> right. Um, and it's no fees, it's entirely free. So for Resi, our goal was just to like literally break the chain of all the friction in New York City leasing and yeah. just you know make it equitable, right? So many people can't lease in New York City for a myriad of reasons, none mm -hmm. of them substantiated, um, but it's all because they don't have access uh, to speed. So Resi yeah. is like, the, we democratize renting, right? We make it free, easy, uh, and for everybody. And how long did it take you to see some success with Resi? Um, not long, I think we busted our chops in the first company. We knew yeah. some of the pitfalls to avoid. Right. We started off with a customer, right? So that was mm -hmm. the biggest difference, right? From from me literally creating the name Resi, which is just short for residential. Yep. Um, and I didn't create that, like people in commercial real estate call you know, apartment buildings or multifamily housing Resi. Um, but once we had the name, relationships from Wall Street, a uh, friend of a friend introduced me to a VP at Merrill Lynch. And mm -hmm. That VP owned the four bedroom, one bath in, on Church Ave in Brooklyn. Um, so I was like, you know, taking a two, three, all the yeah. way out to, uh, Flatbush. Um, I cleaned the apartment myself by hand. We wow. leased it on my like five-year-old Mac with some rinky-dink folding chairs and folding table. Yeah. Um, I did all the showings and my you know, two co-founders were back in the co-working space processing everything manually, even though you know <laughs> the applicants in the room were doing it digitally. Right. Um, and that, that, that was the beginning, right? 2016, we started off with a, with a customer. We had a landlord who gave us a shot. Yeah. Um, and it's you know, a black woman who I just owe so much credit to because she she didn't have a relationship with me at all. Right? It was a mm -hmm. friend of a friend. So she was like, look, you're hungry. She would let, she would let me come up to, you know, to Merrill Lynch's office, take a step back, right? Remember, I only had clothes that were mostly suits. So the fact that I was still able to go into banks and be suitable, right? And look the part and play the part and speak the part and was articulate, like mm -hmm. it, it helped, it closed. So I never really felt like I had to quote unquote, look like a founder right? or like, copy Mark Zuckerberg. I, like, yeah. If you talk to anybody who knows me from back in the day, like I ran a startup in a suit. I never wore hoodies. Like I, I wasn't trying to be cool. I wasn't going to do like what, what, you know, the TV and YouTube and Gary right. V looks like. Um, right. I wasn't wearing sneakers to pitches and pajamas and right. shit. Like I was, I overdid it sometimes. Uh, but yeah. long story short, keeping that authenticity right. was what got us our first client. And then like that built the engine, right? Then we got accepted in the Y Combinator. Then we all, then we moved. Silicon Valley, there were six dudes living in a three bedroom house, you know, mm -hmm. almost getting kicked out because the electricity bill is going crazy. And the Airbnb host is like, why is there so much garbage in my driveway? How many people are living yeah. in there? Yeah. Right? 
Right. This is in New York or in, in nah, Silicon, this is Valley? Silicon Valley? This is Mountain okay. View. This is like, this is four blocks from Google's wow. headquarters. Yeah. And how long did you stay out there? Uh, longer than the accelerator lasted. Um, okay. The team went back to New York, but we have property out there, right? And I like, yeah. you know, shout out to the homies that worked in tech in San Francisco because like yeah. a lot of them on our lunch breaks would like show apartments for me, right? right. Like some of them, I won't even say the company's name, uh, but some of them worked at companies where they were like, yo, Keenan, if you need to come eat lunch and dinner at our, uh, at our uh, at Google cafeteria. <laughs> I, I won't say a name. I won't say yeah. a name. Might be Google. Might be a company <laughs> that Google bought. Um, okay. maybe LinkedIn, who knows? One of those, <laughs> um, that has free lunches. But, uh, that has free lunches. Um, <laughs> I mean, shit, even down to the point that I'll be really honest, there were homies that were like, look, um, I was like, look, can I please use one of your conference rooms on the low to do a mm -hmm. training for these, for my first resi staff in San Francisco? Don't tell anybody, just book it under your name. Oh, and they let me do it, right? Yeah, oh yeah, no, 20, like if you thought 2015 was incredible from a ability to figure out where to yeah. live, Right, going to the accelerator, like, you know, it gave us a check, right? It gave us 140 yeah. k so we, we were able to pay for Airbnb, albeit three bedrooms for six dudes. Yeah. Um, so cats were still sleeping on the floor, but it gave us a home base. So with the home base, I took that same energy to launch the company. So yes. Yeah, there were friends that like, yeah, took lunch breaks, put a put a resi polo on, showed an what apartment. I, what I will say is, and I don't know if this is the right word. You had <laughs> a lot of audacity. <laughs> I think I'd give no fucks. I you think, literally none like you, no you ask I, things that i'm I just win. like i, I want to win i want to win you by any means necessary facts I, like i think i think look there's always a fine line right yeah. where you you can piss someone off or you can you know trigger somebody or like you can just you know be doing too much yeah i think i think yeah that's always the case and so there's always an ability to do too much there's right. always the ability to hurt somebody's feelings who the fuck cares Right. The moment that you start to let other people's um, feelings and thought processes control you and drive yeah. you and dictate your movements, yeah. you've given up all control to them. So right. for me, um, and look, I wasn't always, I was always like that, but to the intensity that 2015, 2016, 2017 were, no, that was like a whole different level. Yeah, well, you had but to be that way. I ha and my team was too. Like that was the beautiful part. I, like, right. I rocked with dudes that were the same. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the clients saw that energy. Like in one time in San Francisco, I parked overnight car got broken into because that's the number one city in the world for car break-ins wow, okay. with busted glass in my back seat i still pull up to a development site where this landlord's building a 15 unit building in san fran and knob hill and he jumps in he takes i take him to his next project and i'm like yeah ignore the glass because um car got broken into but i right. came here because i want to miss the meeting right so he was like yeah i actually really respect that i want to show you a third property today just because okay. of that and yeah. we closed them right wow. That's like impressive. broken glass in the back seat, blood yeah. from whoever the, the homeless person was that like tried to break the car and like make it work. You did yeah. what you had to do. Always. Um, but look, I think, I think again, balance is important, right? Because when things got stable, there was an yeah. inflection point where I was like, cool, stable. I don't have to do that anymore. Then I started to get scared of opening my mouth, right? Then I started to get scared a bit for speaking up. Like most people get imposter syndrome at the beginning. I remember yeah, that shit kicked in for me in the middle. Yeah. Okay. It was like, Right, because when you have so much success putting shit on your shoulders, the moment you don't have to do that anymore and like right. the hustle isn't the way to win, you could be methodical, you could be tactical, you can have just a really well drawn out plan. To never have done that scares right. you. Yeah. Right? Because you can't you can't staying up eighteen hours doesn't win that, that race. Right? Right. Being able to take fifteen meetings in one day doesn't win that race. It's actually yeah. the opposite, being super efficient, being super, you know, direct. And so yeah, I think the learning curve 
hits everybody just different ways. So yeah. for everyone who's listening, you know, yes, it's important to have balance, but just as much as it's important to have balance, it's even more important to know when you have to say fuck balance and you right. lean all the way to one side. Right. Right. Yeah. And so what came next? What, what are you, what are you doing now? What's, what's the final business? There were three businesses, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, three and counting maybe, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm always going to be, a, I'm going to be a founder for life. Yeah. Um, a founder and investor. Um, but you know, writing angel checks. So, you mm -hmm. know, 5k or less checks to early, super early stage startups, um, came really next, um, uh, when, you know, just being in the space gave enough opportunity yeah. where you just have enough friends in a business where, you know, you talk to people where 5k is a game changer for them, right? 5k yeah. gets them their first set of Amazon rep credits. Um, 5k gets them that, that, that one singular hot desk at WeWork, mm -hmm. um, for the rental that 5k gets them, you know, an ability just get that Fiverr person paid and the Upwork engineer from, you know, Belarus paid yeah. um, and get their MVP off the ground. So that, that really was next. Um, when I was able to just compartmentalize income and we were able to pay ourselves enough um, yeah. time to do that. Um, and then, you know, started Stratum, um, which is really a, an official version of a unofficial business. I think since 16, 17, I had always been helping my friends in the startup circle yeah. uh, as like a quasi consultant top of the year is like officiating the business, right? Coronavirus hit, things get, things get tight, you have to be creative mm -hmm. and the need still existed whereby my friends even more so who were starting up companies really needed like formal, formal um, support. So yeah. it was like, it went from one-off phone calls, one-off meetings um, to like, okay, I'm just gonna formalize a business model around what I've been doing for three years, yeah. which is giving you know very clear, concise consulting level advice yeah. to super early stage founders or first-time founders. Yeah. And that's what Stratum Growth is. So uh, essentially you're helping future founders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, you know, the, the focus has always historically been on just early stage companies yeah. or first time founders. You know, people just have that, that, that zero to one need. Yeah. Um, and I've done that, you know, at this point three times um, mm -hmm. to varying levels of success. And I think what's important is not only being able to speak to what works, but tell them what doesn't. Yeah. Um, and just the creative ways to approach problems. It's always a series of problem solving. So what, what, do you, what are you working on now? What is next for you? Uh, <laughs> can you can you disclose just like the companies and the, the, the people's couches you slept on? Can you not tell us? <laughs> what, what, what is next? Uh, good point. Um, <laughs> no, what's what's next is is scale. Right? I think you know everyone gets hyped when you start the first company. Everyone gets hyped when you uh, you know get a little traction, but product market fit yeah. is really hard to find, right? And so scaling a company um, once you have some semblance of success is the key because we are, we're in this game to have an exit. We're not in this game just like, you know, have clout because we did a little bit or raise a little bit yeah. or has some semblance of success. Like we, it's about, you know, having that, that super big liquidity moment or yeah. ringing the bell on the floor of the stock exchange because you're going public yeah. or getting that crazy acquisition, you know, where you cash out and they fund you a hundred mil at the taxes net. And then, so you just get ready to do it all over again. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what's next. As like, you're like a, a serial entrepreneur. And so I'm sure you have tons of advice this point. for um, future entrepreneurs and people that want to start their own business or take their own leap of faith. So I like to yeah. wrap up every show with a shot, which is something small and something powerful that you want to pass yeah. on. So what shot yeah. would you give? Yeah, I think the, the, biggest, the, the, the biggest shot is probably you have to have empathy for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think the most critical piece is self-awareness. So many people have that idea. They want to start. They want to start running. 
they want to start fast they want to start slow whatever the speed is whatever yeah. the cadence is the biggest impediment to success early on is a lack of self-awareness yeah so the moment you try to start playing a game you're not built for or you're trying to win in a way that you don't have any background in or you're trying to do something without the right kind of support because you're just like bullishly, oh, I'm gonna do it on my own, I got this. Mm-hmm. You're gonna fail. Like you have to know where your gaps are. The strongest yeah. thing about an early stage founder that makes him or her successful is he or she can say quite well with all the confidence where they need support and then they go find that support, right? But the name of the game is you not being your best. You are technically as the founder, only your best if you can go out and get the best. Team recruitment is A1. I'll write a check to somebody with an idea, no MVP, but a stellar fucking team with a lot of experience. But I bet on the jockey, not the horse. Mm-hmm. That's what all VCs do, all investors do. It's yeah. not about the idea, it's about the founder who, we all know the likelihood of that idea is failing is 99%. Right. How likely are they to get up and do it again? That is some solid advice. You, yeah. You've definitely given me a different way to think about um, everyone's uh, leap of faith journey. Uh, yeah, self-awareness is the key, Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here, uh, especially while you're traveling. I hope you have a safe flight. (laughs) Stay safe and healthy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. I had a good time. Appreciate you.